This recording is a production of the Conservative Anabaptist Education Committee. This presentation was recorded at Conservative Anabaptist School Board Institute 2020, held in Belleville, Pennsylvania, on March 6 and 7. Okay, you want to eat lunch and hit the road, right? I kind of do too. Let's do it. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, the school in 20 years. How long is 20 years? <clears throat> he, he gave a little uh, idea for us to think about. And so what will the classroom be in 20 years? Let's walk into a fourth grade classroom. What are we going to see? No blackboard. No whiteboard. Just a big screen. Right? Big screen. Each desk is equipped with an iPad. Probably etched in the top so it doesn't fall off. Hang on the side is a set of ear headphones. This thing looks kind of like a welder's helmet. Now we've got our equipment. So the teacher comes in and says, okay, let's start a math review. They fire up their iPads, start whipping through their flashcards on the iPad. Everybody's excited, they're learning. Then the teacher says, all right, let's do our, let's do our first class. So what happens? The teacher steps to the side, the screen comes on, you have a teacher who does a perfect job of teaching how to add, get common denominators of fractions. And then they get their iPad out and they start doing their problems again. <clears throat> then they have science class. They put this helmet on I was talking about. This is virtual reality. And they go to the Amazon and there's snakes crawling around and birds in the trees. Is that what's going to be in 20 years? You know, I've been teaching 30, 31. I'm nothing like Jonas. I'll never make it that far either. I've taught 31. I've got one more yet coming. I said, I promise, Lord willing. I've seen some changes in those 20, 30 years. I've seen that teachers are much more um, focused on having good academics in the classroom. I see parents that want better academics also. They want a better education for their young people and their children. I've seen that. I see school boards that are much more engaged than they were years ago, much more serious about their schools. I see an awareness of learning disabilities and wanting to work with them and recognize that often these children just learn a different way. That's much more common than it was 30 years ago. <clears throat> I see improved Anabaptist curriculum much improved in some cases. And I also see options for teacher trainings and meetings like this. And yet you know, those things give me a lot of hope for the future. I have high hopes for the future of our schools. <clears throat> now, I'm not naive enough to think that I'm gonna predict what schools are gonna be like in 2040. But I do have a feeling that how we set our sail 
how we adjust our sale is going to have an impact on a school in 20 years. And so, yes, some of us are going to age out. We won't be around very active. Some of you are younger. Maybe you think I won't be on the school board then. But if you're part of a church, if you're part of a community, you're, you're going to be concerned. You're going to, want, you're going to want that school to be on solid ground in 20 years. <clears throat> and so there are some questions about this thing. And I th the first one that came to my mind when I was looking at this topic is, in 20 years, will we have this privilege? Will we have this privilege in 20 years? And if we do, will we be able to teach what we want to? Some big questions there, I think. You know, the school movement started, I want to say, um, there was an event in Iowa, 1965, maybe some of you are aware of it. A public school bus pulled up beside an Amish school with the intent of taking the Amish children and busing them to a public school. The parents had found out about it, and so when they were there and this bus showed up, they instructed their children to run. There was also a journalist there with his camera. He took a picture these Amish children running across the schoolyard, climbing a fence and disappearing in a cornfield. <clears throat> Another event was one that maybe is more famous is the Wisconsin versus Yoder. The situation where they were pulling their children out in eighth grade and Wisconsin said, you can't do that. And this case went all the, all the way to the Supreme Court. <clears throat> a local pastor took up the case for the Amish, and then other states came on the scene with the same uh, charges against the Amish. And there was a William Ball in, Phil in Pennsylvania that took up the case. He also helped the schools in Virginia, and he was the one that actually took it to the Supreme Court. Why am I bringing these two cases up? For one thing, when the picture, the photo hit the news in Iowa, the local community rose up and supported the Amish to the point that the governor stepped in and backed off and said, you've got to leave them alone. And eventually there was laws made that accepted their objection to education above eighth grade. Then the, the opinion written by the Supreme Court, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. By the way, this was when the Supreme Court ruled it was unanimous. You never hear that today, do you? But it was nine to zero in favor of the Amish. But the, the opinion reads, there is nothing in this record to suggest that the Amish qualities of reliability, self-reliance, and dedication to work will fail to find ready market in today's society. And further on it says, we are unwilling to assume that persons possessing such valuable vocational skills and habits are doomed to become burdens on society. <clears throat> The privilege of having our schools somewhat hinged on the fact that the public 
supported our case, our situation. And also it was, it was understood from the, from the example there that the Amish would not become a burden on society. Where are we today? If something like this was to make the news, would the public support us? Would they support us? Are we a burden on society? <clears throat> you know, what is the potential of something happening? I don't know if you, any of you have heard of a Mrs. Borntrager, who is actually trying to get something going to overthrow Wisconsin versus Yoder. Her reasoning is she's an ex-Amish, that her poor Amish education um, was a problem in her advancement when she left the Amish and needed education. She's saying that her rights as a child were abused. Doesn't this sound like modern time? Yeah. And so the case is, what would happen? Actually, one of the judges during that time, the, the opinion of the Supreme Court, he wrote that if there's anything wrong with this ruling, it's the fact that the rights of the child weren't considered. <clears throat> so the present day idea of individual rights is gonna be against us, I'm afraid. And I feel fairly confident that we're gonna be some tests coming. And so how do we handle that? If we look at past history, we need to be people of integrity. We need to be people that are up in a doing so that we will hopefully have some support from the community around us. And I don't think the answer is to hide from the government or try to get under the radar. I don't think that's a safe way to do it because if you get caught, then it's all the more harder to explain. I have a situation in Manitoba, it's interesting to me. <clears throat> I was with the Christian Light Workshops in Manitoba a couple years ago, and the Minister of Education from the province of Manitoba spent most of the day at the workshops and ate lunch with us. Now that might scare us here, might not it? If the local authorities on education would come in here, we'd think, what are, what are they looking for? But this man supported what was going on. His presence showed support. They have a good understanding. And furthermore, there's a group in that area that wants to pull their children out early. And so they worked out an agreement where they have a, a, a work study type thing and this has allowed them to work with Manitoba. There's another group, a church group in that area, and someone asked them, you know, why don't you give, ask the, minister, uh, the education board, why don't you give them the same rights you give this other group? And they said, we haven't learned to trust them yet. I think we need to be upfront and not ashamed of what we're doing and do it right, and do, it, do our education right, we'll stand a better chance of these tests come in the future. Let's not take this for granted. Let's not take this for granted. And I can't see a clock, what time is it?
pull my watch off here. Okay. <clears throat> so we need to be people of integrity. We need to do a good job of teaching our young people, our children. We need to teach a solid education. So that raises the next question for the next 20 years. What is a solid education? What is this education that will help us? Do we not need to start teaching STEM? Are you familiar with that term? Science, technology, engineering, mathematics, have a buzz. Some people now add A to it, call it STEAM. They put arts in there with the others. There's also the SEL, S-E-L, teaching social and emotional learning. These are some of the buzz things. Well, we need to focus on the four C's, critical thinking, creativity, communication skills, collaboration, some more buzz terms. What kind of learning? Content learning, discovery learning, innovation learning. What, what are we gonna have to do? You know, in the next 20 years, we're going to face a lot of fads, a lot of buzzwords. What are we going to do with this? I haven't even mentioned technology yet in this. So, what, what do we need to change in the future, 20 years, what our schools will need to teach? Let's look at it this way. What are the jobs that our young people are going to be doing in 20 years? You know, this is one thing, our young people have a multitude of options. A lot more than I had when I was that age. But it's not quite as bad as the public. I read that they say that 65% of the jobs that young people will be doing in 2040 don't even exist today. I don't think we're quite in that boat. But what are we going to be doing? Agriculture's on the way out. There'll still be some agriculture in our circles. I, I want it to be there. But the big thing now is the business world, right? Starting a business, entrepreneurs, service organizations, construction. These are the biggies. What type of education do they require? Kind of basic, right? Solid math, communication skills, these type things. Good, solid, basic education. What I think we're doing. But there's something else I think is going to occur in the next 20 years. I think we're going to have young people wanting to go into professions. Accountants, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, maybe even doctors, accountants, engineers, scientists, computer programmers. Now we're getting into a little different thing. This is more significant. Can our schools cover this base? Because I think in 20 years, we will have young people. We already have some young people doing this. So in 20 years, it's going to be a real thing. Can we be geared up to become college prep schools? A lot of schools don't even have 1 through 12 yet, do they? They can't even staff 1 through 10. I don't know. I doubt if we'll be having college prep schools, but I want to say I'm not sure we need to. Fast Company, a magazine that, that caters to the tech world and 
marketing, that type of thing. They did a survey, 4,000 people. They asked them, well, how much value is a college education going to be in 20 years? 11% says it'll be more useful than it is today. 20% said equally useful. And 69% said a college education will be less useful in 20 years than it is now. Times are changing. Why? Fields are getting very narrow, very focused. And you got different options. You have vocational training, not, not necessarily trades, but businesses are going to train you for what they need, teach you what you need. You have boot camps where they go really focused on different skills, particular programming. So there's going to be different options. How do we handle this? For me, the bottom line is this. Let's don't get overwhelmed by this whole thing. We don't know what occupation a young person is going to do. How many young people 16, 17, 18, know what they're going to do in 10 years. Not too many, do they? Back there's one raising his hand. Good for you. So the best thing we can do is provide a fundamental, solid foundation that can go into any of these branches. If we can provide a good enough education that they can get into a community college if they want to take one of the professions, I think that's what we need to aim for. Enough education that they can step into something if they want to. You know what, it's not a lot different than what we're doing, is it? Not a lot different than what we're doing. But we've got to do a little better job. We have to keep up with the, the level of, of academics. But there's another part of the future of our school that I think we need to focus on. I have a quote here from Donald Crable. He wrote this in 1978 when his level of Mennonites were going through what we're going through now, of moving from the farm into the professions. He said, as the old meaning of a Mennonite identity forged in our rural experience fade away, Mennonite schools will be necessary to identify and transmit the more symbolic glue which will bind us together in the future. We have a shift here. The original vision of the schools, our private schools, was to remove our children from the negative influence in the public schools. Is that right? And that's a good one. We need that. We need that. And we often hear this thing, we're losing division, or with the fear of losing division. I don't think we're going to lose that vision. How many of you are going to put your children in a school the way the transgender issue is? But we've got to expand that vision. We've got to expand that vision to where our schools are now places where we teach the fundamentals of our faith. We, we work with the whole child and not just the three R's. And this is naturally happening, I think, as we've brought Bible into our schools and teach these things. And as you get older and you're working with young people, Family, church, and school need to get on the same page and work together to pass the faith. In the next 20 years, I think that's going to be very important. And schools and churches haven't had the best 
history, but I think they can. So instead of teaching STEM or STEAM or CELL, I'm, I'm proposing that we teach SAS, S-A-S, Spiritual Nurture, Academic Foundation, and Social Skills. That's what our schools need to cover, to build our communities, to pass our faith. Because I think the school will become very important in doing this in the future. And if the school and the, and, the, and the church and the family don't get on the same page, it could be exactly the opposite. Schools, we need to work with the whole organization. Now, i wrap this up. But I got another biggie, technology. We've heard that's kind of been a hot button here this, this morning, technology. <clears throat> And this is complicated. Where will tech be in our schools in 20 years? Outside the school, it's rampant. Children, young people with their smartphones, their tablets, Google, YouTube. We use it in our businesses. We couldn't do without it, could we? Communication. Christian Light could not survive, I don't think without email, internet, cert research. So where does all this fit into education? We meant a lot of what we've talked about today so far about technology is in the home and, and monitoring uh, smartphone use. But what are we gonna do in the school? What are we going to do in the school? I see two things that we need to guard against. There's two ways this can come into our schools. One, is subtly. You have a child with a learning disability and you find this app for the tablet that helps him learn. Tutors are expensive, so this is a cheap way, right? Is anything wrong with it? So if there's nothing wrong with that, let's say you start using this flashcard thing with more students and it comes a little higher. Then the next thing is the teacher finds this video clip of a science experiment. No mess, don't have to get any uh, chemicals or anything lined up, just show the little video clip. Anything wrong with that? Next thing, she gets the video to teach a class. Anything wrong with that? You get to high school, we can't find teachers, so we have video classroom, full time. When have we crossed the boundary, or have we crossed the boundary? That's so subtle. The school board might not even know about it yet. Those the teachers are doing it. The other way is gonna be the wow factor. Like I talked about those children working on their flashcards on the tablet. And they're all enthused about it. Makes the teacher's job easy. Or I was at the administrator's conference for Faith Builders a couple of weeks ago. They were talking about these things. There's a program called Cahoots, where you feed in the data and it makes flashcards for you. There's something called Quizlet, where you feed your information in, it creates a review or a quiz for you. There's another little program where <clears throat> 
you give everybody a card and there's a different shape on it. It's in a square, has different holes all through it. It has A, B, C, and D around it. And so you flash a multiple choice question up on the screen here. And the, everybody in the audience or in the classroom turns their card whether they want A, B, or C on the top. You take your smartphone, scan the room, just kind of like that. Pop, 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 right on your screen. You see who got it right and who got it wrong. This is great, isn't it? No grading. <clears throat> so this is the wow factor. Go bring it into our schools. Which one of these things that I mentioned is bad? Which one should we not do? Are they all okay? You know, I don't know. As you can tell, I'm mainly raising questions here. You heard a thing about screen time. We had a man come and talk to our youth. And he studied this. He had pictures of brains. The, the, what, the, the, these electronic electrodes where they do the brain waves. He showed the brain of a cocaine addict. The waves, the brain waves. The brain waves of someone addicted on gaming. And there was no difference. You know why? Because the screen causes dopamine to be released in your brain the very same way that cocaine does. Now the gamers that he had the brain scan of was somebody that does it like 12 hours a day. I don't know if you've heard of these gamers that put on diapers so they don't even have to go to the bathroom. That's getting a little extreme. Now, I don't think our youth are going to get there. But somewhere along this escalating usage, you're doing some damage. So how much damage do you want to do? And we're, talking, we're not talking about young people, uh, uh, children here. We're talking about actually affects teenage, older teenagers. Do you know there's, any of you know about Fortnite? Okay, Fortnite, do you know Fortnite is being sued? Because to, to program that game, they had people go to labs that test the dopamine in the brain to make sure that their game was getting maximum dopamine in the brain to addict the users. They're actually being taken to court for that because they actually wanted to addict people to the game. <clears throat> so, where do we go with this? This is a biggie in the next 20 years. I don't know where the boundary is. As I've tried to indicate, I think there's good and bad in this. But I want everyone to stop and be intentional in what they do in their schools. I'm talking about in the school. And you know, there's something that actually concerns me more than what it does to the brain. And that's what it does to social interaction. What it does to social interaction. You know, if you take the classroom and you give everybody a screen and the teacher doesn't do anything, I, I just, all you need is an IT department now, right? 
and you give everyone, and it's individualized. Now, I know there's small schools that do this, and so they struggle with it, I think. But when you are looking at that, you're focused on that, your education is simply what you get from that. But if you open that up to the classroom and you get students asking questions and teachers talking, do you see how much that broadens out your learning? And the whole thing of developing inter-social skills that I think is very important because we're losing that. <clears throat> okay, it's 12 o'clock. I hope I've raised some questions in your mind. I don't have the answers. But as we go into the next 20 years, school boards, principals, these things need to be, we need to move forward intentionally. <clears throat> and no tech is an option in the school. No tech isn't definitely an option, as we heard yesterday. Some of your, some of your high, higher level schools are, are going that route. And you read of some of these men like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates that don't allow their children to have electronics until they're older. It is an option. Don't let it, don't, don't automatically put that way as not an option. <clears throat> so, as we move forward, consider what is out there. Yes, I know I'm a boomer. I was born in 52. I was born in the middle of the last century. But I, I have my concerns. And I don't think just because I'm a boomer you can throw them all away. <clears throat> so my, my thought is whether you're a no-tech, low-tech, or high-tech, make sure your school has time to nurture your students, spiritually and socially. And may God guide us all as we move into this world. It's moving so fast. I did not see near this much change in the first 30 years of teaching that I've seen, that I've seen in the last 10. And most of it's because of technology. It's moving fast. Let's be alert. And may God bless you. This recording and many others are available through Christian Learning Resource, the campus bookstore at Faith Builders. Order online at www.christianlearning.org or call 877-222-4769.